the Core 360 belt is the best aid to train the abdominal wall. The Core 360 is a patent-pending, first-of-its-kind training belt that helps you move, breathe, and perform better. We use the Core 360 belt with almost every patient at Winchester Spine and Sport. The biofeedback is second to none, and it's an amazing way to teach proper respiration and can be even used during higher-level movements in the gym. Teaching proper respiration is about as fun as a rash. With the Core 360 belt, you take all the headaches away. Visit core360belt.com and use the code GESTALT for 10% all off all belts. Ohm track sensors not included. Again, visit core360belt.com and use the code GESTALT for 10% off. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Salt Education Show. Uh, Brett, man, uh, we you just got off the stage. Yep. Same with our guest, uh, Dr. We Dickman. were actually in competition for I each know, other. It's kind of awkward, so, uh, But what a cool thing. So, Brett, you were talking about world-class adjusting, how to become world-class, how to develop your manipulation skills, but also palpation. And then what's so cool is you actually talked about the neurology of all those things, which brings me to my, our awesome guest, so Dr. Don Dishman. So uh, Dr. Dishman, you've taught electrodiagnostics over 30 years uh, to physicians throughout the United States. Uh, you have publications in the Journal of Neuroscience Methods, Spine, uh, all these amazing journals. Uh, you have your diplomat and fellow for the International Academy of Chiropractic Neurology. And then the last one is that you're the Dean of Graduate Neuroscience Degrees programs at Parkland University, which is just really awesome. So you have an, just an amazing CV. It was hard to pick out a couple of my favorite things for you. But maybe let's just start with you're a chiropractor by trade. How do you start to get into this realm of neurology and uh, maybe the physiology and how those two combine with what we do as a chiropractor? Yeah, it's great to be here, and uh, honestly, chiropractic is neurology. Yeah. You, can't, you can't separate the two, and I think for many of us, you know, we have colleagues that we chat about it. We all think we had terrible neurology education, you know, and, and it was just taught as an aside. Mm -hmm. It should be taught as, it is, it is what yeah. chiropractic is. They don't and apply it well with the teaching. That's, that's right, and, we, and we, need, we need good teachers that can do that and make it a chirocentric approach. Why do I need to learn this trigeminal system? Because when you adjust people and the headache goes away, I'll show you the trigeminal system that you affected, and it's unique. That's why it works so well. Right. But it wasn't ever taught that way. Right. So it's a pleasure to talk to you guys today because uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time in chiropractic. I was telling Brett, I, this is my 40th year in this profession, and uh, I started when I was 12, so I'm only 40, 52. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, I've never been more excited about it in my life. Uh, not only about the profession, uh, but, but the direction it's headed. Uh, and I think the emphasis on, on the science of it is, is great. And it doesn't take away from what we do as, as a uh, wellness paradigm with patients. In fact, it enhances it. Yeah. So it's a, a really a pleasure for me to come here at Parker Seminars and, and talk about uh, what we know about sensory motor integration, and how our sensorium and how after we adjust patients, what happens when that information reaches the spinal cord all the way up to the brain and then consequently the motor system. 
uh, in pain and function and enhance athletic performance. <laughs> awesome. If, if you don't know, we're, we're in the middle of Parker seminars or right outside of the, yeah. the crew. And so, awesome. uh, thank you. Yeah, we're, uh, if you see some people coming up and say hi, or we're saying hi, we purposely picked this spot because the traffic will be great. Yeah. And we'll get some good shots. I know the jump off point. So, uh, and I, we talk about this a lot actually in MPI, which is you have obviously a biomechanical effect when we palpate or adjust our patient. And a thing that's really gotten exposed early on in your research 20 years ago was the neurophysiologic effect of the adjustment. And we're, we can do a deep dive into this, but can you kind of just like tee it up for us on what got you excited? You start looking at H reflexes and nerve conduction yeah. testing and adjustment and how that all got started. Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting, uh, by chance, so to speak, uh, one of the most common motor control research tools is the H reflex. Now, I was familiar as an electrodiagnostic medicine person in the clinical use of the H-reflex. It's used in radiculopathy yeah. cases. And uh, it's, it's one of our most sensitive tests for an S1 radiculopathy. It's a great tool. And when I got into the motor control world, when I was in graduate school at Syracuse University, I started seeing the H-reflex as a motor control research tool as an index of motor neuron pool excitability. And I thought, well, that's a pretty easy test. It's a little bit different in the setup. But I, I thought, well, I've got questions in my head about what happens when I adjust patients, and I have a tool already that I'm familiar with that might have an answer. So I fortuitously kind of fell into that. Yeah. And wow. so, but this all actually started further back. And uh, as a youngster in practice, you know, trying to recruit, uh, I always wanted to have medical referral. I wanted to be in the medical community for referral and work with them. And I met a really nice medical neurologist I had lunch with and said, you know, we'll send you people with low back pain. And, uh, you know, it's like WD-40, loosen them up. But it doesn't really do much, you know, neurologically. And I just sat there. You know, <laughs> and uh, then, you know, fast forward 40 years later, well, or 30 years later, and uh, we have copious amounts of literature in the field right now that says the chiropractic adjustment for sure has neurologic effects to the central nervous system. Oh, 100%. And uh, they... They, the, the modern chiropractic practitioner has really embraced it and has, has really kind of, I think, let their patients know this isn't just about moving joints around and making you feel better. There are profound neurological changes that you, you can see. Now, the other thing, Don, that uh, I've heard you speak of a lot, and I think this is a really important message. There is a group in our profession that feels that when we manipulate our patients or do treatment, that we're only affecting spinal cord reflexes. And what I've heard you say in previous talks that you've done is we are actually able to affect subcortical regions and even cortical regions of the brain with the adjustment. So I think that the starting point would be our, uh, what, what are we currently thinking about that? And then the next thing would be, um, well, let's start with that and then I'll ask the next sure. question. Yeah. Sure. Well, we actually today in my talk, I started them out with a continuum from 2000 to 2022. And it did. It started out as back, actually superficial EMG reflexive response, Dr. Herzog's lab at Calgary. So you manipulate the cervical spine. Do we get reflexive firing of back muscle? And that's been shown to happen. And we took that kind of one step forward and say, let's look at afferent axons, in this case, 1A, 1B, large diameter proprioceptive axons entering the dorsal horn and with high velocity, low amplitude manipulation. Does it intercede in any way? And it does, it knocks it out. 
and fairly substantially for several seconds, which in that field is great. So this tells me presynaptic inhibition of these afferent fibers are probably occurring. And based on that profile, from other types of experiments and animal models, we know that's probably the mechanism. So that was the spinal cord reflex level. Right. Now, fast forward 20 years, now we have subcortical, we have thalamic, we have basal ganglia responses, cerebellum, uh, cerebellum and probably most exciting, the most exciting for me is the technology has changed with pain signatures and biomarkers on functional imaging and we're seeing substantial changes in the brain in pain patients immediately after one intervention of an adjustment. So, and uh, even like neuroendocrine hypothalamus. Yes, I mean, like yes, and and of course, um, everybody is a master of one, and I'm not an autonomic expert. Uh, I'm a sensory motor integration guy. Uh, but Dude, we are going to be fast friends. <laughs> when you look at autonomics, it's tough to measure in human. That's another next frontier. So. What's exciting to me is now we talk about neuroplasticity. So we have a we have a concussion patient that we we evaluate and we manage them and we say you know neuroplasticity is how the brain reestablishes pathways and heals itself and every brain is capable of that. We also have maladaptive neuroplasticity, where vertebral subluxation complex, in effect, causes negative neuroplasticity. And uh, that's pretty neat because we do have some EEG technology now where we can look at brain waves pre and post treatment uh, of pretty high quality and you know pretty good reproducible. Don, I noticed because uh, it's interesting with Dave's been on our show and uh, Dave Stevens, a good friend of mine. Uh, he will not use the term subluxation, but I heard you just use the term subluxation. So, are you a proponent of? And we are really opening up Pandora's box right now. Because no, I don't use the term, but do you like the term or not? No, I don't use it clinically. Um, and I've known David Seaman for 30 years. And uh, he's, he's unfortunately known me 30 years, I think he would say. <laughs> oh, and uh, no, I, I love him to death. Um, I don't use the term. I, I think it's been overused. And I think from a pragmatic basis, dealing with patients, absolutely not. I use the term vertebral subluxation complex in many ways as a common ground for us all, like at Parker Seminars, you know, our, you can see on our brochure it says, all philosophies and techniques are welcome. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty strong philosophical belief that the adjustment's super powerful, but I also am not going to just be kind of placed in a pigeonhole trash can of, I don't have to do anything, everything's a sublux, and I'm just going to adjust them. Right. And so I like to use the term when I'm on this turf, talking today to a multi-constituent group. And it is a complex. You talked about the biomechanics, like with MPI. We look at biomechanics. David's a, David's a biochemistry guy in inflammation. He looks at those histochemical changes. I'm a motor control guy. So we all, I think the team that we have in this profession right now, the, the maturation of the science in the profession is that it is a multifactorial problem, this so-called subluxation complex. Do I got a deep philosophical question for you, and I cannot wait to hear your response. Okay, so if at MPI we teach, you know, we feel for joint blockages, and then when they're there, we manipulate. So what, I, what I'm dying to hear from you, your opinion on, is there's other groups in our profession, I mean, smart people in the neurology world, that they don't necessarily need a joint blockage to still do manipulation, perhaps because of all the neurophysiologic effects that are going on. 
So my question to you is, and we're going to keep this as pure and then I'll tell you my opinion. Would you ever thrust on something to get a neurophysiologic response that the joint is actually not blocked? That's a really good question. <laughs> and you've led me down into the corner. I can't get out. <laughs> no, that's all right. You no, can't. it is. Um, the answer is probably not. Um, I, in looking and actually preparing for this talk today, um, I always get the question as, does it matter where you manipulate or adjust? And the answer is location is very important. And I say that because the literature with my friend Joel Picard, who's oh, yeah. retired, Joel, Joel's feline preparation at Palmer that he had was a fantastic model that he could literally record any neurological potential, very invasive, obviously, and uh, did some great work in this field. Um, their work shows with, with pneumatic manipulators, kind of like little mini activators that were weight proportionate to the feline prep. A segment or two difference does make a difference in neurological response. Mm. Next question is, what's more important? This feels restricted, and I'm going to take that out and reduce it and look for a neurological response. Or the patient says, ooh, that's the one, doc. That, that hurts right there. The evidence in the literature is very equivocal. They both produce responses, obviously. The question is, what do you as a clinician, practically, pragmatically, what, which one are we going to reduce? And what's changing your audits? That's you know, right. Like, yeah. So. That's right. So I think, I, I, don't, I don't think I would just go to somebody and say, I know that an upper cervical rotary break is going to, is going to cause this neurological change, so I'm going to do this. I, I, I don't think we need to advocate that. Um, and I think for, for the biomechanical component of this complex, is just as important as the neurological. Mm, right. And so I would say no. I don't think I don't think we have enough evidence right now to really kind of support that. Can I, you kind of sum up, I mean, if you had to like give the abstract version of what your research has basically shown, can you kind of like, uh, for our listeners out there, basically um, tell us like overall, what do you, what do you find in it? You know, like, yeah, sure. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough because there's so many different avenues of research. Now, let's, let's on, a, on the negative side, the physiology of manipulation research has been kind of at a, reached a plateau in our profession right now. Right. Most of the work going on is out of laboratories abroad, <coughs> excuse me, and many of them are osteopathic programs. And Non-American osteopathy is not medical. It's it's not like our right. model. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the doctoral PT programs are leading the way in this research. And I'm okay with that, but I don't think we need to uh, abandon it. By but in the funding's all for like pain syndromes, not like the yeah, neurophysiologic. Yeah, it is. And right now the state of the art is a high velocity, low amplitude, spinal manipulative therapeutic application. It, velocity, of course. Uh causes profound spinal cord reflex change. It causes reflective paraspinal change, extremity muscle change too, mm -hmm. to a lesser extent. It causes changes in alpha gamma motor neuron ratios yeah. that'll change resting muscle tone, which I think is fantastically important and often overlooked. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we adjust people and they don't have spasm and tightness? You change that alpha gamma ratio. Uh, now, then when we get to autonomics, parasympathetic-sympathetic balance is hugely important. And my view of what we do, we were all taught models that we turn on the nervous system. 
we, we release nerve interference and we, we let it flow. I think we do the opposite. A, a pathology causes excitation of the nervous system that's not good and the adjustment, the high velocity, low amplitude adjustment intercedes in that. If you're hypertensive, you're not, you're not opening up the sympathetic system. It's already too open. Right. You're closing the dam. So I think that there, there needs to be a paradigm shift and it's not damning to our original paradigm. You know, Didi Palmer, when he discovered chiropractic, his description of it was based on the science of the day in 1895. Yeah. Fast forward now, let's explain it in the neuroscience, which is a new discipline since then. Let's explain it in that using what we know. That's the only way to move forward in my humble opinion. Yeah, perfect. So Don, the devil's advocate would be, okay, well, so you light up the, the cortex like a Christmas tree with an adjustment. Like, why does that actually matter in our cases? It's a good question. And pragmatically, we're responsible to our patients. You know, we need to educate them why you need to get this, mm-hmm. why we need to do this, and what's going on. And, and patients are lay people. We can't explain neuroscience to them. We can paraphrase it in a way based on this, this idea that we need to explain everything away is not going to happen. But what you will see, I think, is the ability for us as a profession to pick responders better, uh, to, to triage our bag of tricks, our, our toolbox of techniques for this patient versus that one, and make us much more efficient. Right. The more we know, uh, the more effective we're going to be. And, uh, and I get it that we don't need to explain everything away. I mean, the thing, things that we do, we live by the results. But I'm not okay with just year after year or decade after decade explaining it in some hodgepodge anecdotal way. Right. And there will be things in human beings, especially the human nervous system, that you will never be able to discover, I don't think. So what we have is a tool for humankind that's we have that no one else has. And I'm telling you, with with the opioid epidemic that we've seen and now this debacle with this pandemic, this this country more than ever is looking to us uh, to be the the trusted source of things that they can listen to and actually believe. And and the the science of chiropractic, the physiological responses are there where we lack is that next step of translation from this to clinical application. So what if you get a big, strong spinal reflex inhibition? So what if I get, I show I light up my prefrontal cortex and, and, and there's enhanced sensory motor integration? What does that mean? So right. that next step is really that new frontier. Right. What's your guess as to what that new frontier looks like? I, mean, I think it looks good. I mean, I think another thing that me individually that I'm, in particular, I'm interested in is orofacial pain syndromes, and the trigeminal neuralgia patients, and it's not a pain syndrome, but it's a motor syndrome, Bell, Bell palsy. We haven't really looked at how an adjustment interacts into that corticobulbar system, and it's huge. The trigeminal system, you know, it's very unique. The, the tongue itself, the anterior two-thirds of the tongue is innervated by what? It's general sensibility and pain is a trigeminal system. You know, we learned an anterior two-thirds of the tongue sweet salty sour that's facial nerve for <laughs> right. special yeah. sense did you know the projection of that tongue to the vpm of the thalamus which is way smaller than vpl which is your body's relay station it's a smaller nucleus but it's a larger projection to the cortex and so we do things like tongue electrical very minute tongue stimulation 
Did you know how much that lights up the cortex? So then do you think there is like special things that would be done in that scenario? Or is it everything we've been doing, we just haven't been motivated to like actually tell our patients that we can help them? Both, both. Because I think what it'll do is it'll elucidate what we're doing more specifically. It may expose in the future some very relatively non-invasive and safe adjuncts to what we do to enhance it. Mm -hmm. Now, do, does, does the adjustment cause positive neuroplasticity of the human cortex? I think it does. So we all know that in neurorehabilitation, an excited cortex undergoes neuroplasticity much better than a non-excited cortex. So in studies such as Dr. Danilov at University of Wisconsin-Madison with a tongue stimulator, he's showing functional MRI changes. The cortex is lit up, so to speak, seven hours after just a 30-second period of stimulation. So, you know, think about this. Maybe I light your cortex up before I adjust you. And this, this is being done in, in, in applied clinical neuroscience rehab facilities where people go in, they get stimulation of the tongue, they have eye movement exercises. These are all things that enhance the excitability of the cortex. And so, therefore, you, the effect that you have therapeutically is, is better or greater. So I do think we'll see this profession potentially evolve more towards a very clinically applied functional neurology approach, but never abandoning the adjustment. The adjustment is, is a very powerful tool, and uh, it's why we're here. Right. Having said that, I am not of the school of thought that that's all that matters. <laughs> Diagnosis doesn't matter. You know, son, all you, all you got to do is find that subluxation. I, I, that's, I don't think that's where we need to be going. And I think we've moved away from that largely as a profession. Right. I agree. So, uh, and that might, you know, some people might not like to, I know people don't like to hear that. And that's fine. Everybody's, everybody's entitled to their, their viewpoint. And that's one of the beauties of this profession. It's broad enough and tolerant enough, I think, to allow different techniques and schools of thought, but we still need to police those fringes. That, that can be damaging, I think. I think in this pandemic, we've seen some things come up where people make unsubstantial claims. That's getting less and less. I'm a little older than you guys. I've seen this the real positive change, and, and, and it's really a maturation process of the profession. Well, like by Calho, Hodges, others have shown, like when we manipulate our patients, the erector spinae, we can definitely have a huge effect on the erector spinae. So some would argue that sometimes that's not a good idea. So like, would, would, do we ever need to worry that like we're taking away a protective pattern of the body? Or do you think we're overthinking that and that's not something to be concerned about? I think there's an argument for overdoing it. Um, there is some evidence, in my work I've seen this, um, there is some evidence for almost a habituation where if you were to, I were to come in your office and every day of the week you adjusted me for six months, I would, my, my central nervous system would, yeah, it would accept that stimulus differently after actually very quickly. Um, and that may not be good. So I'm not an advocate in overtreating. Right. And I think most of the practitioners I know who are the best, you know, they're kind of like, we're going to get you better in six visits. Uh, not 600. Right. And uh, I, I do think there is that argument. Uh, but on the other hand, I think this sensory motor integration that seems to be enhanced post-adjustment helps, if you want to use the term fine-tune, 
us to our sensorium. I think it makes us, I think it prevents, for, it could be preventive is really where I'm at. What's a true that you have that you kind of in the back of your mind know that it's this way, but like there's been no research to kind of, sounds like the trigeminal system, but like, is there anything else that where you're like, there's no research to support this, but I feel this is. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big unknowns is the, is the immune system. And, you know, I was talking to my group today. I said, you know, I think we all agree in here today, routine chiropractic care makes you healthier. I think it's a pretty safe assumption. Um, the research supports it, even from a pain standpoint. Yes. And, and actual phys- physiological measurements of health and wellness, it does seem to have some evidence for it. And the cost of the healthcare system, too. Oh, the cost? I mean, not even near uh, for most, some conditions, but for most. And so. I think neuroendocrine and, and and our immune system is enhanced, I think, but I don't know. So I don't have a billboard saying, you know, come to my office for immune uh, system treatment. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's actually tons of frontiers. And, and in a way, it's a little negative that we're still where we are a hundred and something years later. <laughs> and my I, self-introspection, my worst quality is I'm impatient. <laughs> You can ask anybody who knows me, such as my wife. <laughs> I think we're all like that. Yeah, yeah we're and, all like and that. so I don't know that I'm willing to wait. But um, guys like you, and, and honestly, 34 years of teaching in the classroom full-time in chiropractic school, there is a general level of student acknowledgement of, well, let's put this to the test. The idea of scientific scrutiny and rigor is much more normal than it was when I first started. They would just believe anything they were taught. Yeah, right. And that's not good. Right. On the other hand, when things work for you and they're safe and, and effective and the proof is in the pudding in your patient, but there's no evidence for it, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean you're not an evidence-based practitioner. Yeah. But you really ought to try and support research to say, why is this work? Right. Well, it's a three-legged stool, right? The best evidence, your patient's preference, and then your clinical expertise. That's right. I and mean, that's, at the end of the day, what we're all trying to, to do because... There's no way, and I think you get to test this more than anybody, there's no way to per, to push science than by doing it, by testing it. You have to come up with the hypothesis first before you can actually... That's right. Otherwise, you'd have no tools. I mean, like right. the, the haters in our profession that are actually chiropractors, they're telling us, well, nothing works. Nothing. It's like, well, then what? Yeah. Explain the results yeah. of what we're doing. You know, so I mean, I just think it's... Medicine does it too. Yeah, in fact, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, a few years ago, we were all going to die of H1N1, you know. <laughs> And uh, sure enough, I came down with it. I was, you know, sick as I could be for a couple of weeks, actually. I found my wife made me go to the internist. The guy was about 30 years old, younger guy. And he tested me. He goes, yeah, you got H1N1. I said, yeah, I figured. And uh, he says, uh, starts writing. I go, you writing Tamiflu? He goes, yeah, well, how'd you know? I said, oh, I thought, no, I said, I thought you practiced evidence-based medicine. He looked at me and he goes, I do. I said, really? Have you ever read the Cochrane Collaboration on Tamiflu? Well, no. I said, you know, it's poison. You know, it's outlawed in Germany and UK and the whole EU now. And, you know, it's a terrible, terrible drug. And he said, you know what he said to me? He said, I knew, I did, I knew I'd get that from you because he knew what I did. Yeah. He said, but it's all we got. It's not good, but it's all we got. I said, that would be like me saying to a person with low back pain, I'm going to sprinkle some, spark, some sparkles from my kid's art class on your nose and it's going to work. Really? Yeah. But that's all we got. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a quack, right? Right. And he's like, wow, you really know how to talk. I said, no. I'm tired of people saying, 
what we do is an evidence-based. There's more evidence-based for at least the musculoskeletal complaints that we treat daily. There's more evidence in that than most medications. There really is. Don, when you, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with David Winterstein's paper in the 90s where they actually coined the term disaffrontation. Do you like that term? Is that a good term for us? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, I think we've, we've seen people in, in, in the chiropractic neurology and functional neurology movement use the term deafferentation. I don't like that because I don't think we're deafferentated. Right. But uh, yeah, David, I know they used that in their paper years ago. And uh, I don't actually use it much like I don't use subluxation as a word much. Right. Um, I was describing models today using that term as a complex. Uh, and I think disafferentation is, is, is okay. Um, it implies that the CNS is kind of okay, but it's, it's the periphery is not working. It's not serving it, it right. It exposes the sensory system is, yeah. And, and, and it may not be, not, and not just sensory, but other visceral responses. And it, to me, it somewhat divorces the periphery from the central. In that sense, I don't like it. But I think it's a fair term. Oh, so yeah. it's a little bit limiting, actually. I think it is yeah. a little limiting, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, but it's a fair term. And, uh, yeah, that actually, David, you know, some of his, his concepts over the years have uh, are still still thought as being accurate. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting to kind of see the continuum. I mean, we have Irvin Core, We have Barry Wyke. We have uh, David Seaman. We have Don Dishman. And, like, we just continue to like basically expose the fact that this is a neurophysiologic response also besides just a mechanical thing. And I think that is, that's what kind of keeps me up at night. Like, of course, the biomechanical piece, I mean, that's what we teach in MPI. But then I think the, Steve, the stuff that really keeps you up at night is actually not the mechanical side of it. It's all the neurophysiologic stuff. Yeah, that... absolutely. And, uh, you know, you talk about a continuum. Uh, you mentioned names and uh, there's some good work going on. And, um, I can tell. I was. I was telling you today that as as we look at many of us, maybe their own mortality during this whole pandemic, you look at your life a little bit, and uh, I think people have done a lot of introspection during this time, and I have. And what's important, and really professionally, as I kind of approach the retirement phase of my professional life, at some point, it's inevitable. What what what's made me most proud? Clinical care teaching, research, it's tough because I love to do it all. But I think seeing the next generation that were my understudies, publishing world-class literature on, on, on the adjustment, that to me is, is just makes me feel, uh, the days when I feel like I should, why did I do this? Yeah. Well, being uh, in college, I, I can Yeah, it, so and like there. today I, I did a paper, I, a good, good friend of mine and, and student, Ken Weber, Ken was a student of mine down at uh, Palmer, Florida. Went on and got his PhD at Northwestern in Chicago. Now he's a tenure track faculty member at Stanford School of Medicine. Wow. And he's looking at... Never heard of it. Yeah, that's, it's, I think it's accredited. I mean, yeah. And so, you know, he's looking at uh, functional imaging, neuroimaging, which is fantastic tools these days, combining imaging and physiology, and there's specific pain markers changing with spinal manipulation. So... You know, 20 years from now, if I'm not alive, or maybe even, you know, my son's son is in Cairo school in a, in a class reading about the neurophysiology of adjustment. Maybe you'll see my old stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. he'll, see, he'll see Ken Weber's stuff, uh, you know, and uh, yeah. Walter Herzog. Yeah, like all, these, all these kind of 
hopefully by then icons. Uh, yeah. seminal studies. But uh, yeah, it's really I'm not a, I'm not a horn blower. I, I'm not a I, I'm not in it for me. Uh, but I just I like the idea that somebody somewhere I influenced and and I love this profession and two three generations that person and their influence also may influence it. So, so someone who's listened to this, because a lot of people talk about the diplomate neurology and things like that. I'm assuming you're an advocate for chiropractic students to go on and study this or? Yeah, I would actually honestly like to see, and I think it's going to happen. I mean, I went, I'm at Parker University and, you know, and uh, in, in running the, their, their neuroscience graduate program, our master's degree program. Um, I think, you know, Dr. Morgan, uh, I've known Bill Morgan for two decades or so and Fabulous guy and superstar as yeah. a person and as a professional. Oh, well, he's a leader of our profession. I'm here because of him. I I, I left a really pretty rosy uh, situation, and, you know, with a family and uh, and, a, and a position at, at another college. And I came here for this project. And his vision is chiropractic is neurology, and that's why I think at Parker Seminars you see every year more and more science tracks, so to yeah. speak, and. Uh, yeah, that I think that's our future without abandoning our past. Um, because Respecting our past. That's right. Because what we have is very unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the day we give that up, start right. Be, pr- be proud to be a chiropractor. There's Absolutely. people in like his generation. They're ashamed to be. A yeah, I know. Which is crazy. I know, and uh, it's it is a shame. But no, I think uh, I, I some days I can I can think about all the struggles that we have and will have. A lot of healthcare professions are struggling, and uh, a lot of issues and. Uh, with healthcare in general in the system, but overall, I, like I said, when we started chatting, now I'm I'm more excited about it than ever. And not it. just the science, but uh, the actual efficacy and the safety of it keeps showing every study. It's a safe, it's a really safe thing to do for patients. Love it. New Noise says, you know, his quote: "I stand on the shoulders of giants." I think we all can attest to that, especially you know me being here as the the younger generation, but. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, we can't speak better about Bill Morgan, what he's created and what he's slowly creating, but uh, maybe give us uh, one more plug about this neuroscience track with, at Parker and, uh, you know, what, what exactly are, are students going through? What's the curriculum look like and, and yeah. what, what at the end is kind of the, the goal of a, of a student that's created? There Great question. I, I actually uh, got sidetracked with Brett's question. I was going there and you, yeah. you brought me back and in, 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 into focus and center me. And uh, I think chiropractic education, one generation from now, will look like our neurology diplomat. I think it will be. Here's your traditional chiropractic measures, your, your basic sciences, your diagnostic sciences, your chiropractic evaluation and management. And here is the neuroscience of it and icing on the cake to enhance the chiropractic part of it. That, you shouldn't have to be doing a postgraduate program to get that. And... That's not going to happen overnight. No. Yeah. Uh, and I do that. I mean, I teach for an hour program in it and uh, organize it and coordinate it and teach a lot in it. Uh, and I think it's good stuff. And, and not every chiropractic student, though, wants that. Right. So I do think that may be a bit of a resistance factor for some colleges. But, yeah, Parker Seminars in general, actually, I hadn't before. I, I had spoken at a couple of them. Bill had asked me to. But I don't really have a long-standing history of going to them. I knew they were largely motivational, you know, and they were practice management back in the oh, 50s. Oh, back in the day, Back yes. in the day, they were oh, big yeah. parties. Oh, yeah. And they still are a big party. But it's, I, I see this, I see a subset of, of docs 
that you can just you can palpate the hunger to learn the pretty intricate details of what we do. Yeah. And uh, and it, it actually drives me. Good students drive me to learn oh, yeah. more. Yeah. It's really Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Well I think like uh, well, first off, thanks for bearing with us. It's been a little bit crazy that here. Was. Maybe picked a better, could have picked a better spot for the podcast. Yeah, but I, honestly, was, I didn't say that. Whatever. It worked out great. It was perfect. We got some good, good stuff. I, not only that, but uh, great information from uh, Dr. Dish. But I, I think just to close it, uh, thank you for your uh, contributions to the profession and for still having the hunger. That's what always gets me when we sit down with people uh, that are maybe, you know, like you said, getting closer to retirement. I think you got a lot of t- a lot of gas left in the tank, but uh, your energy and your passion for it is, is really intoxicating. And so uh, that's just, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I think that, uh, you know, in the next five, 10 years, man, oh man, some really cool stuff's going to be, be coming out. If you were yeah. sitting out there and you think that manipulation only is a biomechanical thing or entity, do a Google search of Don Dishman and you will find that his research on the H reflex basically proves the fact that manipulation is also a neurophysiologic event that is occurring to the patient. And that, I mean, that's the future of the research. Of yeah. And it's not me. There's still, I mean, this has been a continuum of high quality work. Some techniques have changed in that time period too. And, uh, there's more talent in this pool too, Yeah, but I'm really blessed. I, uh, I've, I, I'm nowhere near retirement. I got a lot of energy, uh, and uh, some days I don't think I do. You, you know, but I've got a lot of research ideas that I wear a lot of hats, uh, and I think that's healthy. And, and I'm blessed because I, I spent my whole career around people younger than me. Yeah. Students are all younger than me. Yeah. And the energy, the more it's just a cycle, and you just feed off each other. And so I've been blessed to do something that I really enjoy. So it's not really work when you do that, uh, but. Yeah, guys like you, I know I can speak for my buddy David Seaman too. When we when we talk together, I mean, we'll do anything for you when you're hungry to learn and yeah. you're doing your work. You don't do your work. You yeah, yeah right, right. But but um, no, it's a, it's it's a blessing, and I'm really honored and humbled to uh, to speak with you guys and to speak here at Parker. Yeah, definitely. To be a part of well, Parker. What about uh, just finish us with? If people want to take a course with you, if they're interested in the master's program, what's the best way to learn more about it or to... Uh, to, to yeah. Well, uh, email me too. Uh, you guys can provide them with that. Yeah. Uh, or in uh, my Parker email. Um, we, we have our diplomate in neurology. We also have a 150-hour course in electrodiagnosis. A lot of chiropractors are into electrodiagnosis these days. Most states, it's in our scope. It's reimbursable. Some really neat findings can come with that very objective um but yeah email me uh parker's master's program is on their website and um if a student as dean of that program when a student wants to actually speak with somebody about the details i talk with them so anybody anybody watching the podcast today feel free to go through that those avenues and i'll we'll be talking on the phone about it I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be happy to answer any questions. I love it. Well, yeah. this just kind of stead marks. I mean, Parker is our number one school. It's tough to beat, uh, you know, the, the things that they're doing and, and providing their students are world-class. And if you haven't been to a Parker seminar, it's insane. I mean, it is amazing. It is insane. It, I still yeah, get goosebumps true. walking into the to the rooms and just seeing everybody that's, that's uh, yeah, forming the same rope and the speakers. And, uh, I mean, Vegas is Vegas, which is just awesome. Yeah. And the, var- the variety, too, is even oh, better yeah. than it has been. And, and you know, we're doing a, a – we're, we're doing – you know, this is a classic. In June in Orlando, uh, the Gaylord Palms, a nice hotel there. Oh, yeah. yeah um, that I think that's going to kind of be the summer tradition. Yeah. So – 
they want to expand partner oh, seminars and uh, and what we do. So yeah, I'm sure we're, we're going to see. You can't grow moss on a on a moving no. rolling stone. No. So no. I can't see Bill just saying, "Oh, we're no. just going to stay alone." It never stops. We it's just it's more and more and and the energy. You know, the management, the the administration from from Bill Morgan as president, our provosts and vice provosts, and the folks I report to, they're they're not only. So, so good at what they do but as humans they're all amazing people yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can't That's ask to you're blessed to yeah. be in that position so i awesome. i uh, there's a lot of good chiro schools out there but this team is uh it's really really amazing yeah they're headed to the moon yeah. so well we're putting a putting a shout out to, to dave seaman too i know uh, you've got connections down in daytona as well so this uh combo podcast is going to happen at some oh, point yeah. you and we're dave getting, i'm in daytona and like Three weeks. Ago, yeah. So, so yeah. anyway, that that's going to be coming. It's we'll going to happen. We'll get we'll get David at the beach. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's yeah. right. So I love it. All right, guys. Well, I hope you guys learned a little bit about neurology. Uh, go read some of Dishman's work. I mean, Doctor Dishman is yeah. a stud, and we're we're so happy to be around him, and uh, we're we're thankful for him. So, uh, with that being said, keep striving for greatness. I mean, right. Keep following the people. Uh, keep keep feeling that pressure to keep pushing what's possible for chiropractic, as Brad always says, and. and end of the day this profession is on a rocket ship to the moon so uh, we're happy to be a part good. of it Love yeah, and be proud good. to be a damn chiropractor for once right <laughs> all right guys have a great all day all right thank you guys i hope you enjoyed this episode of the gasalt education show uh if you liked it share it subscribe to it uh send it to your friends send it to someone that needs to hear this message uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the the best clinical advice that they can which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests so um, if you have any questions please feel free to reach out to us or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations let us know uh, for a list of our upcoming courses we're adding them all the dang time so go to gestaltedu.com click on courses and they'll all be right there for you all right have a good day